So how are you doing? Right? So that's kind of a microcosm of that question, isn't it? We don't really want to know the answer. And we don't really want to give it. That's why only two of you said something when I asked 150 of you how you were doing. We're not really interested in the answer to that question. Uh, We're not interested in giving an answer to that question. It is the same as what's up. We're not interested in what's what's up. We're just saying hi. That's all that it is. And we have come up with some clever ways to just kind of deflect, right? We, We say, well, I'm still upright, or hey, I'm awake, or whatever it is. But... We, we're really not interested in answering that question. Um, I have an answer to that question. It's a standard answer to that question. It's a standard answer to that question my wife absolutely hates. And I guess that it's probably me and every other guy in this room who uses it. The word is fine. Right? Right? It's fine. Right? Maybe you've seen this around on the internet, but this, this can d- describe um, particularly guys. Right? Everything could be going on wrong around us, and it's fine. Right? I've, I've come home from work on really, really just, just crummy days, and Lindsay says, hey, how was work today? I was fine. Or I've come home, and it's been a really great day. Hey, how was work today? I was fine. I was good. I realized I had a problem. We were sitting at a wedding one time, and people were talking about their wedding days. and like, hey, how was your wedding day? I said it was fine. And I realized very quickly, <laughs> I just grouped that in with some really bad days. And so... I've had to be a little bit more conscious of what it is that I was trying to say. Um, I think if we're honest, though, if we're honest, um, how we're doing is more than a one-word answer. And if we're honest, I think a lot of us are, um, well, we're doing a little worse than fine. There's three words, really, that I think would probably describe a lot of us in a room this size. Worried, stressed anxious. I think that those three words would be an adequate description of a lot of our lives, a lot of our attitudes, of a lot of what's going on in our, our spiritual lives. We're worried, we're stressed, we're, we're anxious. Anxiety as a whole is on the increase across the world. It's becoming an epidemic. It's tearing apart families. It's tearing apart people's lives. I heard the statistics at a statistics at a conference I just went to. And this is this, the same amount of information that 50 years ago people processed in a month is how much we process in a day. Think about all of the stuff that we see, that we experience, that we go through in a day. And that used to be what you were able to kind of spread out and process over the course of an entire month. Let's take this morning, for example. Some of you, the very first thing you did this morning is you rolled out of bed or maybe you didn't even get out of bed and you got that phone Right, you got that phone, you opened it up, you went on Facebook, right, because you like punishment. And so you got on Facebook, and within three minutes, you have caught up with 35 people's lives. Think about 50 years ago, how long it would take for you to catch up with 35 people's lives. But with the first three minutes that you're awake today, you know the highs, the lows, the, the real, the fake of what's going on in people's lives. And chances are, also on there is the news. We used to have to wait for a nightly news program that was 30 minutes long, who gave you a bullet points of things that were happening. Now it is instantaneous. It is at your fingertips. 
you know everything that's going on and you know what everyone else thinks about what is going on. It's, it's overwhelming. Think about 50 years ago, we had no idea what was going on across the, the globe, but there's somebody with a blog or a Twitter account in some remote country investigating, and there's some disease that's going to wipe us all out, and they know about it, and they're broadcasting it everywhere. You see it immediately when you wake up. Now, the thing about that, you see that. You caught up with all the sports scores from yesterday. You checked your fantasy team and found out your leading point scorer is out today with a hangnail, and you got mad about it, and you just you were bombarded with so many different images and thoughts, and then you have to go get the kids ready for church. You're overwhelmed with everything that's happened, and now you got a kid who's all of a sudden snotty. That came out of nowhere, and you've got to get him ready and get him dressed. And it's like wrangling a cow and trying to get it to calm down, and he's trying to fight out of everything that you're putting on him. This isn't from experience, and you are trying your best to get them ready for church. And finally, you say, fine, wear whatever. And so they're over there in Mickey Mouse pajamas because you weren't dealing with it. And you get into the car, and you get ready to start, and you realize... Well, whoever drove it last, the husband, left it on E. And so you have to now go to the gas station and hope that you make it there. You're looking at your two children. You're like, yeah, I think they can push it. And so you you get there and you fill it up and then you go to that four-way stop because that's where the gas station is and that just makes everything unravel because no one knows what to do there. And you get here and it's 1045. It's 10.50. You all, most of you got here at 10.50. <laughs> think about that. That's 10.50 on a Sunday morning. And think about all that you have seen, all you have experienced, all that you have gone through. And it is no wonder that we are just completely stressed out. It is no wonder that we're anxious. It is no wonder that this is getting in the way of our spiritual life. 62% of college students described their status as overwhelmed. 70, nearly 75% of hospital visits now are directly attributed to something that's anxiety-induced. And last year, we spent nearly $1 trillion on anxiety problems. And the thing is that none of us wants to be there. We feel bad about being anxious. And sometimes coming to the church makes it even worse. Because we come here and we see that Jesus says, why worry about what you will eat and what you will wear? Look at the flowers in the field. God clothes them. Look at the, the birds in the sky. God feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than they are? And so don't, don't worry. And so you hear the Son of God telling you not to worry. And yet all that you feel is anxiety inside of you. And then perhaps you've come and some preacher has gotten up and because we were really ill-informed on this for a very long time. And some preacher got up and told you that if you're worried, then you don't have enough faith. If you're anxious, you really should just start praying more. If you were a real Christian, if you were really faithful, you wouldn't worry about a thing. Blessed, not stressed. And so we just feel terrible. Because we probably try to have more faith. We've tried to probably read the Bible more. We've probably tried to, to pray more. We've, we've prayed so many times. Specifically, we've prayed about this. God, can you please do something about this? I'm overwhelmed. I can't take this anymore. And here's someone saying the reason that you're this way is because you don't have enough faith. And so we just feel even worse. And we're like, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm not happy with this. 
I don't want to live like this way. I don't want to win the award for most great hair at 30. This is not what I sign up for. And so it becomes an it. It becomes something that hangs over us and something that is within us that keeps us from moving forward in our relationship with God. And so today we're going to take a look at somebody in the Bible who dealt with this. You know, there's times in the Bible that we just get somebody for like a quick second. Woman at the well, right? We get her for like, what is it, like 30 minutes? And then she goes off and we never know how that works out. And we get glimpses of people throughout the Bible. And so it's hard to relate to people because usually we see them at their best. And sometimes we see them at their worst, but usually we see them at the best. But then we get some opportunities throughout the Bible that we see somebody for an extended period of time. We see somebody for a very long time in their life, maybe from their youth up through their death, or in the case of Moses, we basically saw him from floating down the river to to his death. And so we get a a broader picture, and there's an interesting thing that happens. We gravitate towards those snapshots, but when we see somebody who we see a long-range plan of their life, we find out that the people in the Bible who we see over the course of time have the same struggles that we do. We see these people, and they have ups and downs, successes and struggles. They have peace and conflict, just like we do. We see that they experience what we experience. And one of the people, one of the persons in the Bible who we see a lot of is David. We see David. And we see his life, and we see him go from a giant killer to to the king. We see his death. But we also have an insight into David that we don't have to a lot of people. And that is, David wrote the majority of the Psalms that are there right in the middle of our Bible. And so we get to see how he's feeling. We get to see what he's thinking about. And there's one in particular that we want to highlight today. In Psalm 55, we see David, and this is where we're going to be today if you want to turn in your Bibles. But David says this, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught. I gotta imagine that David didn't say this calmly. I gotta say there's probably say that there's a bunch of anguish in his voice. And there's some of us here today who are saying, David, did you eavesdrop on my prayer? Because that sounds just like something that I said last night. That says something that I've been saying for a decade. This is how I feel. And David is saying this to God. God, this is, this is where I am. And you've got to think about the vulnerability that David's showing here. Because David is the king of Israel, God's people. He's not allowed to feel this way. And think about the reputation that precedes David. He burst onto the national scene when he stands before a nine-foot-tall uh, giant. And he says... Hey, none of these other cowards are going to step up, but you're not going to talk about my God like this. And so he gets a slingshot, and he hits Goliath in the head, and Goliath falls, and he takes Goliath's sword out and cuts off Goliath's head. We don't tell the kids that part. And he cuts off Goliath's head, and and he says, "This this is what happens when somebody messes with God. And he's a national hero. And he continues to be a national hero. They write songs about David and his conquest. And then he becomes the king. The king of God's people. 
the hand-picked king of God's people. He is there, and he is the one who brings the Ark of the Covenant, and he's dancing like crazy in front of it, in front of everyone. This is the man. He's not allowed to feel what he's saying here in Psalm 55 by the world's standards. He says, God, I'm, I'm absolutely miserable. I'm distraught. There's something we have to understand this morning. We have to be honest about our anxiety. David was. He was honest about the fact that this is exactly how he felt. And we need to go to the God who created us and who loves us when we feel this way. In Philippians 4, Paul knows this. He says that we're supposed to rejoice and, and that's, we're supposed to be, have gentleness in our lives. And he says this in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And he tells us that the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Paul knew something very important, that whenever something came into our life, then we need to bring it to God. We need to immediately lay it down at his feet. We need to give it to him. Here's the thing we have to understand. We can hide it from our spouse. And we can hide it from our kids. And we can hide it from our coworkers, And we can hide it from our church. But you can't hide it from God. God knows every thought. And yet for some reason, so many times, we're acting like we're hiding something from God that he can't see. David comes before God in a moment of honesty and says, this, I'm completely distraught. I'm a mess. And some of us need to stop praying flowery prayers and start praying real prayers. God, this, this is exactly how I feel. This is exactly what I'm going through. See, God sees your anxiety, so you might as well talk to him about it. David says, this is how I'm feeling. And now he's going to tell us why he's feeling that way. Verse 3. He says, because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. See, one of the things we get to see because we have a long time to look at David is that David had enemies. David had enemies. I mean, it started with Goliath, but even killing Goliath just put a, bull, a, a target on his back. After he killed Goliath, he, he has to then deal with the fact that his father-in-law, you guys think you had it bad, his father-in-law and his best friend's father, same person, tries to kill him multiple times. And so he's dealing with this. He's running from him at, at all the time. And then, then Saul and his family dies. And David gets to be the king. Well, coming to being the king in a very desirable piece of real estate comes with some challenges. And so he's constantly being faced by different countries trying to come in and trying to take over and trying to wage war. And beyond that, his son tries to rebel against him. And he's got different officers trying to rebel against him. David had no shortage of enemies. And maybe when we talk about stress, and when we talk about anxiety, for you it has a face. It has a face. And you're married to it. Or you're trying to raise it. Or you work alongside it or under it. 
And it's someone who constantly is criticizing you, someone who keeps moving the goalpost on you on what you're supposed to do in your life. It's somebody who is, is just maybe even a danger to you, and you have to worry about that person all the time. For so many of us, it really does have a face like David's had a face of a group of people trying to do him harm. But there's one truth we have to understand about anxiety and worry and everything this morning, and that's this. It may be a person who is the source of it, but excuse me, make no mistake, anxiety comes from our enemy. The enemy. It comes from Satan. You see, what, what happens is that Satan wants you to worry about things so that you don't trust God. He wants you to stress about things so that you don't pray, and he wants you to be anxious so you don't worship. He wants to put so many things in front of you, so many things to bother you, so many things to worry you, that you are so focused on those things you can't see a way out. He wants it because it's bad for your health. He wants it because it's bad for your relationships. He is the source of your anxiety. And while we might think that this is pretty plain and and pretty obvious, the truth is that when we are in the middle of anxious seasons of our life, we don't usually blame Satan, do we? We blame God. We blame God. God, why why are you doing this to me? Why are you not fixing this? We have to understand something this morning when it comes to our anxiety and our pain and our our stress, and and that's uh, it's not from God. James 1.3 tells us that God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. He, he doesn't want to drive a wedge between you. He's not going to try to test your love for him. He's not your high school date. He's, he's somebody who says, okay, I, I know who you are. I'm not going to put something in there to try and test and see if you love me. You, I, I paid a big price so that we could be together. I paid a huge price so, so that we could have a relationship. I'm not going to put anything in your life that causes anything to mess with that. But Satan will. And so you need to hear this morning. That when we are anxious and when we're struggling and when we're stressed out, God is not apathetic. God is heartbroken. God wants the best for you. And this is not the best for you. He hates that you're going through this. He hates that you have to deal with this. So it's not coming from God. David says that this is how I'm feeling and this is, this is why I'm feeling this way. And maybe these descriptions here fit you. You know what it means to have a heart that's in anguish. You know what it's feels like to have death around us, to, to be fearful and trembling, to be overwhelmed. We know that. And so what's David's solution? What does he want out of this? He says here in verse 6, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and the storm. David says, I, if I could, I'd get out of here. 
I would, I would have these wings, I'd open up this window, and I would fly away. And where I would fly, I would go straight to the middle of a desert where no one wants that land, no one's traveling through, and I'm going to set up a house there, and I know that nobody's going to come and bother me. This is where I want to be. This is where I want to be because it's the only stress-free place that I know I can be, and no one wants to come and attack me. This is where I desire to be. This is his Elsa let-it-go moment. He says, I want out of here. I want to be by myself and I don't want anyone else around. And there are a lot of us who have prayed this prayer. And I want to guess in a room this size, there have been people who prayed this prayer this week. I want out of here. I want this to go away. I want to be put in a new job that doesn't require any dealing with this person. I want to be put in a new class so that this person can leave me alone. I I want something to happen. I want to be put in witness protection so that no one knows my name anymore so that I can go somewhere and live a brand new life. I'm so sick of living like this. We've been there. And this morning, I want to talk to, um, I want to be real, um, a little bit more real than maybe uh, we could be this morning. I know that for a lot of us, when we have prayed a prayer like this, and when we have said something like this, the enemy has put into our head an option that is a lie that it tells you that this can give you peace. See, Satan will use this as an opportunity. He says, there's a way to have no more pain. There's a way to be free. There's a way to have nobody count on you anymore. And I know in a room this size and with the statistics that we see today about anxiety, that it drives us to this point. And so this morning, I want to talk specifically to those of you whose anxiety and worry and stress has taken you to a place where you thought about ending your life. I want you to hear from me if you don't hear anything else this morning. That if you have been there or if you are there today, that I cannot imagine the darkness that is around you. I cannot imagine the hopelessness that you found, that you feel. I can't imagine the weight that is on you. But I want to tell you from, from Scripture, from what I believe to be true, is that, that God will provide peace. And it is my prayer that that happens today. It is my prayer that it is instantaneous. It is my prayer that it happens in your lifetime. But I want to tell you that as a Christian, we have a life that is beyond this one. We have a life that is beyond this one, a life that, that, that is promised to us. And I want to give us just a quick glimpse of what it's like. In Revelation 21, John's looking out and he's seeing this new heaven and this new earth and he describes it as this. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. What did David want? David wanted a place where he could go and he could fear that nothing was going to come and attack him. Nothing was going to come and bother him. What is it that we want? We want a place where we know that we are safe and we know that we are secure. God says this is what it's going to be like. We're going to have gates on this city, but they're just for looks because they're never going to be closed because there's no danger that is ever going to come in. There's no night. There's no sun and moon. I'm the light, and I'm always going to be there. There's no fear that one day the lights might go out. 
There is no anxiety. There is no anything. I'm going to restore what was there in the Garden of Eden. I'm going to make sure that you have no fear and that you have no worry. And so here this morning, I want you to know, I'm not trying to minimize how much it hurts. And I'm not trying to minimize how dark it may be. What I'm trying to highlight is that there is peace. And there is a promise for peace. And that God wants to use you in the middle of your storm to help rescue those who are in the middle of theirs. And so just real quick, I want to do a couple things. The first is this. If you ever get to that point, there's a phone number I want you to write down, and it's up here on the screen. That's the National Suicide Hotline. If you ever get to that point, I want you to make sure that you call that number. They have trained professionals who will talk to you. Maybe that's not appealing to you. And so here's another one. Um, The next number is this one. And that's mine. That's mine. And I don't care what hour it is. I don't care what day it is. I don't care what I'm celebrating. I don't care if I'm on a Sabbath in the middle of the ocean. I want you to call this number because it is important for you to hear that not all hope is lost and you are not doing this by yourself. And this may backfire, but I'm pretty sure that uh, I know this church. If you're here this morning and you say, I want to be a resource for anyone who has ever felt this way, anyone who feels this way. And I don't care what hour of the day or anything like that. I, I want you to call me. Will you please stand? If you're willing to say, hey, I will be there for whoever, whenever, and you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to do this alone. If you're in the middle of your darkest hour, look around you and you have about 100 people who you're going to have to call first because they care about you and because they love you. You're going to have a seat. See, we do this together. But there's another truth that I need you to understand as we wrap things up today, and that's this. God doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't take a vacation He's not detached. Somewhere a light goes on in David's life, and he gets to verse 16, and he says this, As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He says, I can cry out to God, and I know no matter what time it is that God hears me. There's a big shift that happens here in David's life. And that shift is something that has to happen for us who struggle with anxiety. And that's this, that, God, that David quits talking to God and starts to talk to himself about God. He starts saying, talks, he quits talking about his troubles and starts talking about his Savior. He starts talking about the one and reminding him of what Scripture says about who God is. You see, what happens is that we spend so much time looking at, thinking about, and focusing on our troubles that... We, don't, we forget that we have the opportunity to look at, to think about, and to focus on God. There's a man named Carlos Whitaker. He's an author. He's a preacher. And he said something. Uh, he wrote a book. And in his book, he, he talked about overcoming obstacles. And I think it really applies to anxiety. He says what we too often do is that we look at life and then we just occasionally glance at God. 
we just look at life and we look at everything that's in front of us. And maybe once a week for one hour or one hour and 15 minutes, we glance at God and then we go right back to everything else. And we live our life looking at what's right in front of us. He says the paradigm shifts when we look at God and we glance at life. When he is our focal point. When he is what we look at, he is what we chase after, he is what we know to be true. It doesn't mean that the things are still gone. We can be looking straight ahead and we're still going to step on those Lego pieces that are scattered in our house. But when we look straight ahead at God, there's going to be things that we're going to bump into, but we're going to realize it's not as big as our God. It's not as powerful as our God. Here's what happens. Anxiety happens when we try to carry out, when we try to carry only what God can lift, when we try to figure out only what God knows, and when we try to do what only God can do. When we see a mess and we try to go and fix it for ourselves, that's when we get into the trouble that we get into. God wants you to understand that He is with you. He will never forsake you and that He has this under control. God is going to be the one who leads us through these times. In fact, Jesus is talking to His disciples in John chapter 14 and He says something very important. He says this is what's going to happen. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be persecution. But here's what I'm going to do for you. He says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, the one who's coming after me, the Holy Spirit, he's a helper. He is with you. And this morning, I want you to know very clearly that God is with you. He has not forsaken you. And he will not leave you. And so this morning, I have two questions to close us out. First is this. How's it going? Be real. Be real with God about all of your anxieties and all of your fears because He is big enough to take care of all of them. The second question I have is this. What are you looking at? Are you looking at all the trouble and all the pain and all the sorrow? Are you looking at all the things in the world or are you looking at the one who has overcome the world? This morning, I want you to know that you don't have to do it alone and that God is going to be with you, that this church is going to be with you. To not give up in the middle of your storms, but to endure so that you have a story to tell those who are struggling with the same thing that you are. No matter your age, no matter your background, there's somebody out there who is a lot like you, dealing with the same things that you are, and you can tell them about a God who can help take care of them. This morning, as we sing one more song, I want to invite all of you to surrender to God your life, to give Him your worries. And for some of you, I want to invite you into committing yourself to Him, to being open with Him and saying, I want you to take this and I could really use a helper. And, and the Bible tells us, that Peter says, that you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sin and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. You can have Him inside you. And so today, it's, it's my prayer that you would answer that call. <coughs> Anxiety is rough. It plagues us all. But you do not have to do it alone. 
And there is hope of a day of peace that is ahead. Father, thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for giving us a promise. And Father, it's my prayer that we all experience relief and peace in this life. But I do pray, Father, that you would help us to see that there's more to it. And that you're there in the middle of our storms. And so we lift up to you our lives and pray that we would give to you everything that is bothering us. That we're just completely real and honest with you this morning. And Father, thank you for overcoming the world. Thank you for being bigger than our fears. And we pray today for a peace that surpasses all understanding. Father, I pray for every person in here that they would come to know you, to know your goodness, to know your peace. And it's my prayer that today you would work in our hearts and maybe today's the day that we take that next step to come and follow you. Whatever it is, Father, thank you for being a good God who molds us into your image in the middle of everything that we're going through. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.